How can we wrap our heads around the inevitability of planetary and civilizational collapse? What can the history of experimental electronic music and the fate of an extinct alien species teach us about living with chaos and destruction? You're listening to the Liquid Architecture Podcast. Today, we hear from artist and writer Catherine Ryan. On the 22nd of May, presented by Liquid Architecture and Melbourne Electronic Sound Studios, Ryan will present a new experimental lecture, Krell and the Destruction of Worlds, at the Meat Market Stables. Bringing together performative musicology and electronic music synthesis, Ryan addresses a pressing feeling that structures our age, the existential terror many of us feel when we contemplate how human-made climate change is transforming the regular cycles of life on our planet, rendering a familiar world unfamiliar. Today, Catherine Ryan expands on the converging influences that informed Krell and the destruction of worlds, how humour can open up conversations around confronting topics, and the possibilities that emerge through the multidisciplinary structure of performance lectures. My name's Catherine Ryan. I am an artist. I work in a number of different media. At the moment, I'm making performance lectures but I've also made video work and sound installation and delegated performance with security guards as well. So Krell and the Destruction of Worlds is a performance lecture and the main question it's concerned with is how can we wrap our heads around the potential destruction of the world or the destruction of our society or our civilization? and it draws analogies between complex systems like civilizations or supply chains or ecosystems and the sorts of systems that are used to make generative music or other types of experimental music. The name Krell comes from a fantastic B-grade sci-fi film called Forbidden Planet, uh, which is the first major film to have an entirely electronic score. It was this very experimental for its time score full of the sounds of circuits breaking down and sort of a music concrete really. And the Krell are an ancient race who are already uh, extinct when some explorers land on the mysterious planet, the forbidden planet of the film's title. The performance lecture links all these disparate threads together. Like most people who spend too much time on the internet, I was down several rabbit holes at the one time. And as I was getting into experimental synthesis a couple of years ago, I came across this term Krell patch. So that's K-R-E-L-L. It's a type of patch that you can make with a synthesizer where the machine that you're working with is generating its own music. And usually that type of patch or way of connecting up a synthesizer has a source of mathematical random values built into it. And then that allows the patch or the synthesizer to make endlessly varied sounds. 
even though they're random, they're also quite musical. The people who were making these patches on various like synthesizer forums, they had taken that word from this B-grade sci-fi film, Forbidden Planet, because there's a sequence in that film where even though this alien civilization, which was once all-powerful, is extinct, there are these little fragments left of their civilization, and one of the fragments is their music. So you hear a little bit of that in the film. So that was the sort of original starting point. Uh, and then I started just thinking about how fragile our supply chains are and our, just how society is. Funnily enough, this was pre-pandemic that I first had the idea for the performance lecture. Some of these were very abstract questions in a way when I first began, whereas particularly in that first period of the pandemic when we just weren't sure what would happen, I think there was a real sort of sense of concrete urgency to this idea of, well, you know, things could just run out, all these things that we are just part of our everyday life that we rely on, maybe they won't hang around so much. Also, there's actually quite a lot of pandemics if you look back in human history. In fact, civilizations fall apart all the time, um, <laughs> which is an alarming thought. So, I mean, in part this served to sort of like normalise the experience of being in a pandemic and perhaps make it seem less like it was something unusual because you could sort of put it in this longer time span of the earth. So the mix of all of those things together was what made the work. And there was, yes, the happy accident of the name Krell. My background before I began making art is philosophy and critical theory, so very discursive. And I've made sort of site-specific work, delegated performance and video work. Uh, but then I'd often been told by people, particularly when I was presenting my work, that I'm a good talker. I mean, it's nice to be told, but also I, it was sort of information I didn't know what to do with. And then a real sort of exciting turning point was when there's a Swedish artist named Eric Bunger who presented a performance lecture at the substation in this one particular work was talking about a recording of a girl's voice that he plays on a turntable that it speeds up and slows down and so he sort of plays with the, 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 all the fictions that we can tell about, you know, the recorded voice and presence and that sort of thing. And it was so exciting when I saw this lecture because it was playful but also incredibly smart as well. And it was one of those moments where you see some artwork and you think, wow, you know, I didn't, I didn't know art could do that. I didn't know it could be as funny and conceptually interesting and smart. So that was really the inspiration. It was to sort of see if I could do something like that. The other thing that's interesting about performance is that the temporality of performance is, is just much more linear than a lot of other things that I'd made. All those traditional things that are associated with performance are, you know, quite interesting things to play with. Having a sense of shared presence 
and having feedback from the audience. There's something very gratifyingly immediate about presenting a fairly traditional work, you know, people sitting down in front of you, you're in front of them. That's part of the enjoyment for me. Control is a real through line in my work and the sort of sense of like, well, what does a work want the audience to do? Is there a right response? Is there a wrong response? I quite like making works where there's no right way of responding. With a performance lecture, I mean, just by virtue of standing in front of a group of people, you're playing with that idea of the expert, you know, the person who's going to stand up and explain everything to you and, and sort it all out. And that's a kind of a type of voice that I'm interested in messing with a bit. Another real reference point for me, the films of the documentary maker Adam Curtis. What I really am fascinated by with his work is how he has this very traditional BBC, here is my voice telling you what the moral of the story is sort of approach. And I'm very interested in sort of satirising that, but also noticing that, like, I have those real tendencies in myself, you know, like I am interested in the history of different civilizations and cultures and I do spend a lot of my time listening to very classic, you know, 1970s BBC-type podcasts where there's a group of experts talking about a thing. By standing in front of a group of people and, you know, presenting this is how the world works, I think you you automatically start playing with that. I suppose in a way my work is political, as in it's reflecting on socio-political things. And so this strange thing does happen with your work where I think if you're really plugged into what's going on, then things in the world start happening that mirror what's going on in your work. And it can be very uncanny in a way, but perhaps also a sign that you are tapped into some sort of zeitgeisty thing the way in which everything can just fall apart has been a part of popular culture for a number of years now. There is a sort of sense that we have at the moment of the fragility of all our systems, which it must be in some way related to the messaging we're constantly receiving now about climate change and all that sort of thing. It's very present in the general consciousness the real catalyst for beginning to make The Krell and the Destruction of Worlds was reading a book called The Sixth Extinction. It's a very sort of engaging account of the fact that we're living through a major extinction event, but then also looking at like the history of like, you know, well, where did we even get the idea of extinction from? That's a very recent concept. Till the 19th century, more or less, the mainstream view in the Western world was that God had made everything as it was 6,000 years ago and the species that we have were the probably the same ones that were on Noah's Ark and nothing else was going to change. That book really laid out in a very quite terrifying way <laughs> the, just the fact that, you know, species are being decimated and almost all life on Earth has been wiped out several times this isn't some freakish new thing. It's just that we happen to be alive now in the middle of it and we have a consciousness of it. 
I remember there was this TV series. It was an old BBC comedy that was on TV when I was little. Totally politically incorrect, I, I should add. Like, it's the sort of thing now when you you look at an episode on YouTube and you're appalled. It was called The Goodies. It was very surreal and absurd. And there was this weird bit that stuck out in my mind, this episode where they have to go somewhere and as a map they use a teapot. The idea is that if you hold the teapot and you feel the teapot, you could use this item that has nothing to do with where they're going. And I think sometimes perhaps I like the challenge of that. Like, can you take something that seems like it should have nothing to do with this other big topic and yet find something about the other topic in this, often in pop culture that seems like it should be a bit forgettable or not serious or sort of shallow or something like that? Or in the case of experimental music stuff I've been getting into, types of culture that are very abstract, quite technical. It's something about the, the challenge of that seems to be what I enjoy. Crowell and the Destruction of Worlds is a little bit unusual in that my previous performance lectures have been based around pop songs that, you know, the sort of thing that you'd sing at karaoke that everyone knows, you know, something that would be on at the supermarket, like an ABBA song. Whereas this is, it's a different type of sort of cliched pop culture to work with and a different type of music too, because before this particular trajectory of research, I didn't really know very much about the history of experimental electronic music. I play music and I'm interested in pop songs myself, but this is fairly new research for me. History of avant-garde music in the 20th century, you know, like generative music, Brian Eno, cybernetic music. I started being interested in electronic synthesis a little bit before my time at Mess. In fact, in some ways, part of the enticement for me for making this work was that I would have a reason to go to MESS. Mainly what I've been doing at MESS is using a particular sequencer called the Daisy. It looks like something from Batman and Robin from the 1960s, you know, the sort of like what's down in Bruce Wayne's Batcave. Like it's this big silver thing with all like buttons and switches on the front and like little readings of numbers that you're not really sure what they do. And it puts out something called pseudo-random values, which are just like long chains of numbers and, and values, which can then trigger other synthesizers and then make these strange combinations of sonic material that are not totally random, like there's a pattern to them, but then also not really within your control either. So 
really the whole experience of working with this instrument is controlled chaos where you're like flicking around and you think you know why something happened but you're not really and then you try and replicate it and maybe you can and maybe you can't. I was interested in that as a sort of like analogy for is anyone really in control of our global economy or our global supply chains? Like sometimes I think when you're thinking about the climate crisis, it's you sort of feel like is anyone in charge here? Well, yes and no, but not really. It's like we're all in some four point something billion legged race where we've all got our legs tied together and sometimes we can lurch together, but mostly we trip each other over. I think the kind of tension or dialectic between control and chaos is something I'm very interested in exploring in this work. I've always been fascinated by the question of can humanity really decide to go in a particular direction or is all of our technology just something that we create that then it has consequences that we can't foresee even though we are the people who've created all this technology? Like can we really calculate in our mind where it's going to take us. Humour is a very interesting topic, I think, and it's something I'm fascinated by analysing, even though that usually ruins jokes. It's the sort of idea of the short circuit, so you can take things that look like they have nothing to do with each other or that belong to totally different orders and then the joke short circuits between those two systems in a way. And I think that does kind of relate to this dynamic I was describing where I, it's interesting to take pop cultural material or musical material from one sphere and then see if you can find analogies between that and some other more serious or complex area that it doesn't look like there should be any way that one says something about the other, but you can make them do it somehow. I'm also drawn to asking questions that are really big and awkward, like the sort of thing that if you said them in a dinner party, there would just be like an awkward silence because like you're not really supposed to talk about, you know, like, do you realise everything could just collapse? That sort of tends to ruin conversations when you when you say things like that. I think because we spend most of our time trying not to think about that or thinking about it in a very kind of catastrophic disaster movie way. I definitely think humour allows you to suggest connections between things that if you're being more serious you don't suggest like because there's sort of ways that you know which ones are the serious topics and which ones are the frivolous topics and you don't put them together the absurd and sort of non sequiturs is something I'm particularly drawn to I feel like it's it can be a very sort of philosophically interesting type of humor I'm also not sure if this work is funny I'll only know when I perform it is the beginning of a new body of work. The other performance lectures I've made so far very much have certain similarities. They, they all use pop songs to talk about 
how neoliberalism structures our approach to time and the rhythms of our life, about how a certain type of productive subjectivity is created. Crail is almost a bit more existential. It probably has more to do with a video work I made called Six Philosophical Monologues for a Seal, and it's made up of footage of a, a seal swimming in this very blue tank, but it's just like a concrete rendered tank. And the seal just swims backwards and forwards obsessively throughout the video. But then over the top are these subtitles, or surtitles, seal titles, sort of implying that the seal has this real like philosophical monologue going on about, you know, referencing what Kant thinks or what Spinoza thinks or Lucretius or Samuel Beckett about language. There's this sort of like mismatch in the work between the sort of cosmic proportions of this seal's thoughts and then the fact that he's still just like in this little tank going backwards and forwards. In its approach to existential questions, I think that's kind of one through line uh, between my earlier work and Krell, even though that is a video work rather than performance. They're in part about our present social reality, but they're also about these like larger questions that will, you know, always be true regardless of what society we're in, you know, what does come after us? What is all our work for? Do we need a legacy? Well, do we have a legacy if the world explodes in a hundred years? You know, all that that sort of stuff. And they've been asked for centuries, but then in, in very different paradigms. If you're thinking about the apocalypse in a Christian paradigm, then it's not as scary in a way. I always love the fact that the etymology of the word apocalypse, it literally means to draw back the curtain. So it's, it's literally the revelation. It's like the moment where God reveals, you know, the plan that was behind the universe all along. I think that sense of apocalypse has been lost for us. It's just pure catastrophe and disaster. Catherine Ryan will present Krell and the Destruction of Worlds on the 22nd of May at 4pm and 7pm at the Meat Market Stables. The work was developed and will be performed on the land of the Boonwurrung and Woiwurrung people of the Eastern Kulin Nation. You can find more information about the event and Catherine Ryan's work in the show notes. This podcast was produced by Mara Schretweger for Liquid Architecture on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We acknowledge them as the traditional owners of this land and recognise that sovereignty has never been ceded. We pay our respects to their elders past and present. Liquid Architecture is an Australian organisation for artists working with sound and listening. You can support our podcast and online journal disclaimer through a Patreon subscription for as little as $5 a month. Find the link in our show notes. (laughs) 